Welcome to the podcast, Let the Prophet Speak. Today we continue our study of the Book of Kings, this time beginning the second half of the Book of Kings, known as the second Book of Kings, or Malachim Bet. Again, uh, as I've said many times throughout this podcast, the division into these chapters and sections is um, not of Jewish origin. Uh, it was more later on during the days of, of Christian printing that the Book of Kings was divided into two, mostly for convenience purposes, in order to um, have better able to divide it into books. But because this became the standard, we call it Malachim Aleph and Malachim Bet, even though traditionally there is no actual division. It's all one Book of Kings, written, as tradition teaches us, by the prophet Yirmiyahu, the prophet Jeremiah, uh, and um, all as one book. The... Um, uh, this particular division between one and two is in a little sloppy place. Um, it kind of ends with the death of Ahav, which makes sense. But on the other hand, it, it, it's in the middle of the career of his son Ahaziah, who we learned about before and we're learning about again. So um, we're going to continue with the career of Ahaziah, which was short-lived, but we can learn a lot from it, and, let's, and that's what we're about to do. The p- chapter begins with verse 1. After the death of Ahav and the succession of his son Ahaziah, the people of Moab, which was previously subdued and under the dominion <coughs> of the, of the um, northern kingdom of Israel, uh, rebelled. In other words, they stopped paying tribute. They, became, uh, they asserted their independence. And this is, uh, its verse seems to be hanging in the middle of nowhere without a lot of context, but it's clearly being written here in order to give us the impression that the very powerful empire that had been built by Omri and his son Ahav, which was really the, at least poli- from the political standpoint and military and even economic standpoint, the high point of the career of the northern kingdom, was starting to unravel. Things were starting to come apart. And never again would the northern kingdom of Israel attain the, the height of power that it had during the days of Ahav and his predecessor, his father, Omri. So as Ahaziah took over, the, the, the kingdom is starting to unravel, starting to fall apart. Verse 2, Vayipol Ahaziah bi'ad ba'aliyaso. And Ahaziah fell through the lattice work that was in the upper story of his home, some kind of, uh, of a roof upon which people could, uh, could walk, but it was also had holes in it, it sounds, seems like, in order probably to, in order to allow light to the lower floors. Um, and I guess it wasn't built sturdy enough or whatever. For some reason, it broke and he it tore through and he fell through. Asher uh, B'Shamron, which it was in his palace, which was in Samaria, right, which we are now are familiar with is the capital of the northern kingdom, Vayochal, and as a result of this fall, he became ill. Presumably he had a wound, maybe got infected or something like that. Vayishlach Malachim, so he sent messengers. Vayomer Ali, I mean, he told them, L'chu dirshu b'ba'al zavuv Elohei Ekron. Go and seek out counsel from the god, the idol, Baal Zivuv, which translates uh, pretty well to Lord of the Flies. This, is, this, uh, this idol becomes famous in the Christian New Testament. Here uh, we 
have it as the Elohei Ekron, the God of the people of Ekron, which we know is one of the five major cities of the Philistines. The Philistines are still around, even though they've been subdued enough and for a while now haven't been causing trouble to the, to the people of Israel or Judah, but they're still there. And they have a God named Baal Zavuv. Go find out from that God, if I will somehow become healed from this illness. So here we have a king of Israel sending a delegation to an idol of another nation, which obviously raises a whole host of problems. For one, I mean, the most obvious one and the most important one is why are you sending a delegation to an idol if you can if you can or should be addressing the one and only God himself, which who is the God of Israel. So this just shows the depth to which Ahaziah had sunk in idolatry. But more, well, but also very importantly, this gives the impression of a king that's falling apart, that's losing a grip. Imagine what this looks like on this, in, in the world of international diplomacy. When a king with which has his own tradition, his own God and everything, is sending a delegation to another country and there to ask, beseech help from their God. It's really a very bad picture of weakness uh, on the part of Ahaziah uh, and making the northern kingdom look very weak, which connects this to the first verse. As we said, his, his handle, his grip on power and the height of the kingdom is significantly sinking and um, significantly beginning to fall apart. Now, Umalach Adonai, a messenger of God, Diber el Eliyah Tishbi, told this to Eliyah, Elijah the Tishbi, the prophet. So here's Eliyahu again. He, he's still around, but he's not in the king's court. He's not there. He's out, right? Remember, he's, he had, a, he had a, a price on his head, so to speak, from Ahaziah's uh, parents, Achav and and Izevel, so he is not in the palace, he's away. So the Malach of a messenger from God spoke to Eliyahu, to Elijah, and said to him as follows, Kum Get up and greet on the road and meet on the road the messengers of the king of Shomron, right? He didn't even name him the king of Samaria, who is Ahaziah, of course. And speak to them. And say the following message: Hamibli ein Elohim bi Israel. Is there no God in Israel? Atem hochem lidrosh b'val zavuv Elohei Ekron. That you have to go and seek out Baal Zavuv, the God of Ekron. I would, would like to point out that modern scholars assume that Baal Zavuv is one of the interesting uh, places where the Tanakh, where the prophets are, are kind of uh, poking fun and being a little sarcastic here. Because the, the probable correct name is Baal Zivul, which means Zivul, which would mean uh, uh, in ancient Hebrew uh, a dominion or glory. So Baal Zivul is a form of the Baal God, which we are familiar with, but it's, the, it's, a, it's a Baal God of glory, of dominion, of something. But the, the, um, the prophets call it Baal Zivul, call it a, a fly, a Zivul, in order to make fun, in order to poke fun at this at this God, um, and rather than call it by the honorable name that the adherence to this idol would have called it, um, so just an interesting, uh, cute aside. And therefore, 
So this is with a message from God. So says God, because you are seeking help from Baal Zavuv and not from God and not and not uh, repenting, not doing what you're appropriately supposed to do in order to possibly achieve forgiveness and maybe heal from your illness. Instead, this bed, Asher Alisa Sham, the bed that you have climbed into, right? That because of your illness, you're never going to get down from that bed. Kimosimus, you're going to die. Vayelach Aliyah. And Aliyah, after receiving this message of prophecy to deliver to the messengers, <coughs> he went on the road to greet them, of course. Now, there's no, um, there's no, uh, uh, can count a discussion of the actual encounter between Eliyahu and these messengers. It's assumed from the text that you should assume that it occurred. Because the next verse 5 says, So the, the messengers now return to the king Ahaziah. So we don't, doesn't discuss what happened when Eliyahu delivered this message to these messengers. The messengers that turned around and went right back to Ahaziah, um, what is this that you've returned so early? Obviously, they, 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 they were met on the road, so they came back much, much earlier than expected without ever having reached Ekron and the Philistines and so on and beseeched the god uh, Baal Zavuv, god small g. So they said, they said to Ahaziah as follows, There was this man that came up to greet us. And he told us, Go back to the king who sent you, and speak to him. So says God, Is there no God in Israel that you're sending messengers to seek out counsel from Baal Zavuv, the God of Ekron? Because of you doing this terrible thing, the bed that you are climbing into, that you have gotten up into, you're not going to get down from, you will die. Now this brings up a whole bunch of questions. But the one, there's a, whole, a lot of things that we notice from this verse. First of all, they had a, 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 a job from the king to... to um, go to to the to the Philist, to, to Philistia right to go to Ekron and fulfill him a mess you know to fill this this you know the the job that they were sent on they they had they had a uh, diplomatic mission and because they met some random guy on the road they just said ish some guy told us this message they they turned around and went back and didn't fulfill their 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 task which is pretty surprising you know why didn't they just tell the guy, well, I uh, hear what you're saying, but sorry, we got, a, we got a job to do, and this is our job. There must have been something that about the encounter with the man that scared them enough or convinced them enough that they should turn around. So that's one question that really kind of glares out at you. The other thing is, is that they didn't recognize, they had no idea who Elio was. They had no idea who Elio was, and we'll see that from the next two verses <coughs> even more strongly. So... And one asks, and one would wonder, like, what's the, what's like, why is it that Eliyahu, the prophet, the prophet whose job it was to prophesy to the people of the northern kingdom, <coughs> was completely unknown to these people who were presumably somewhat, at least high up in the government. <coughs> they had no idea who he was or what he looked like, which is, I mean, 
it's uh, um, you know one wonders about Elio's involvement and in 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 what prophets are usually tasked to do, right? Like what's going on over here? <coughs> and these are questions that I'm gonna address them a little bit deeper in a moment. I just want to read the next couple verses first. So the king said to them, well, who is this guy? And the king is probably thinking to himself at this point, uh, this is obviously an assumption, you know, these guys, just because of some random guy turned around, like what's, this guy must have been something, right, for them to decide not to fulfill the mission that I sent them on. So Memish Badaish, what is this guy, what was he like? What was this guy like? Asher Alalekrastem, the guy who came to greet you. And told you these things. The guy who greeted you and told you these things, what was he like? By Omri Love and they said, a very uh, physical description. No no description of the of his majesty, his grandeur, the power of his words or anything, but a very uh, basic description. Ish Bal Seyar. Excuse me. He was a hairy man. So I imagine a person with long hair, with uh, a long uh, uh, imagine a wild, unkempt kind of beard, sort of. I mean, this is an image that you think of. Uh, some, some uh, have even proposed that Elio might have been a Nazir, you know, a Nazarite who doesn't cut his hair, but a hairy man, or and he had a leather belt, Azur Bimasnov, that was um, wrapped around his his loins, so so around his waist. So um. So this is like he must have had some typical appearance by Omar, and the king said, Eliyahu Tishbihu. That, that must be Elijah the prophet, Elijah the Tishbi, from, from the Tishbite. So the king recognized who he was. The king knew he grew up in the house of Ahav and Izabel, and Eliyahu had been there enough and had made enough of an impression there that the king would know who he was. But apparently he was so absent from that house, that royal house, that the people in the royal house didn't even recognize who he was. Vayishlach Elov, and so what did the king do? He sent to him, in other words, sent to Elio, Sar Chamishim Vachamishav, an officer who was in charge of 50 troops plus his troops. So presumably an officer with his 50 men. Now that's how the soldiers were divided by 50s, hundreds, thousands. So this was a, um, you know, a reasonably high ranking officer. With, uh, with, with 50 troops. Vayal, uh, a love, and he went up to him, and they found Eliyahu at the top of a mountain. And they spoke to him, man of God, the king said, you should come down. Now, I w- there's a few things in this verse that also stand out. It doesn't say anything about what the king wanted this, this, this officer and his soldiers to do. It's just that he sent to him, he sent to Eliyahu, Sar Chamishim Vachamishav, you know, uh, an officer and his troops. It doesn't say a word about what Ahaziah told his men he wanted to do with Eliyahu. We can, we can infer from, we can infer from what the soldiers did, maybe we can infer, that he told them to bring Elio to the palace, right? And they, so they addressed him and said, man of God, right? Um, the king said, come down. Now, um, uh, the, the, the commentaries, most people, most of the traditional commentaries assume 
that that Ahazia was angry with Elio, just like his mother and his father were, and wanted to have him killed. And the reason why he's sending soldiers was in order to forcibly take Elio and bring him to the palace in order to be executed, right? Because Elio had a price on his head for a long time. And that's one way of understanding this story. But that way of understanding the story raises <coughs> a lot of questions. And I would like to point out, and I'm going to use a, a very interesting parish, a very interesting commentary by the Ralbag, that's Rabbeinu Levi ben Gershom, otherwise known, known as Gersonides, who made an interesting comment. And a lot of, a lot of uh, writers, modern and, and older writers, didn't quite understand what the Ralbag was aiming at, what he was pointing at. But I'm going to take this Ralbag's comment and have, it, have us follow through with it through this entire story which will shed a tremendous amount of light with how, as to how at least the Ralbag understood this story. And as you hear it, you'll, un, you'll you think about whether you, uh, you know, this makes sense to you, whether it agrees with you or not. Um, but here it goes. What does the Ralbag state? Why did he send, Ahazia send to Eliyahu messengers? And why did he send them this ranking officer and his troops? So the Rabbag makes a very interesting comment. Sheshalach Ratzalomar, Sheshalach LeEliyahu Lichvodo Likrolo. He went. He sent this messenger to Eliyahu in honor of Eliyahu, in order to call him right to come. In other words, he sent an honorable guard, a, a, an officer, a high-ranking officer, Sargadol, a, a great uh, uh, officer, a high-ranking officer. So that, and, and with, uh, with his entourage of 50 soldiers, in order to honorably bring Eliyahu back. What would be the... Um, now, um, the, the next question, right? We said that the people went and so the soldiers said, the king said, Reda, come down. The Rabag makes another comment, which is very important. And that is, it seems from their words, they wanted to bring him by force because of the king's command. In other words, they had made this decision on their own. Now this paints a comp- very interesting picture. So what we have here is an Ahazia who is sick in bed and he hears this message, right? And he sends an an honor guard to escort Eliyahu, not to force him. The people assumed that the king wanted to force Eliyahu to come, right? But in actuality, Ahaziah wanted to bring Eliyahu, and the logical conclusion that one would make from at least the Rabag's understanding of what's going on here, and I'm going to go with this because it fits very well with the words and it makes a lot of sense, was that Ahaziah actually wanted to hear Eliyahu's message and see if maybe he can turn around. Maybe he can repent. We're, what, we're, what the verses here are trying to show is that Ahazia actually wanted to send an honor, an, honor, an honor guard, so to speak, to bring an escort Eliyahu in order to get the message from him and maybe thus reverse this decree of death that he had heard from God. And maybe there's a way he can turn around. Maybe there's a way he can change. The people around him, on the other hand, didn't understand that. <clears throat> the people around him thought the king just wanted to force Elio to come because he was angry. But that was not the intention of the king. So what's going to happen here is Elio is going to get upset with these men. Are you trying to force me? And Elio makes the assumption that they are here 
under the command of the king, and Eliyahu doesn't get the opportunity to go and maybe bring Ahaziah around and maybe use this opportunity of this illness to help Ahaziah see the error of his ways because he thinks that Ahaziah is coming to force him to come because that's how the men presented it. So Vayane Eliyahu, and so, so therefore Eliyahu answered Vayidaber, and he spoke El Sarah Hamishim to the officers leading the 50, this, this officer, you're calling me man of God. If that's the case, then what are you telling me by the command of the king I should come down? Right? What do you mean uh, you're trying to force me? If that's the case, then may a fire come from heaven. And he can swallow up. In other words, you're trying to force me? Force is nothing. I represent God. You can't force me to do anything. God comes before the command of the king. And sure enough, a fire came from heaven, and it devoured and consumed him and his men. So here you have a huge missed opportunity, right? A huge missed opportunity and an, and a, uh, an act from Eliyahu where it, this could have happened in a completely different way had the men presented themselves differently to Eliyahu or had Eliyahu went with them Possibly he may have influenced Ahazi in the right direction. But that's not what happened. And this opportunity may not ever come again. Now let's see what happens. Verse 11. And, and I'm explaining this according to the Ralbag, following his ideas and taking them to their logical conclusions. So, so the king went and sent another officer over 50 Vachamishov and his troops. And he um, also spoke to Eliyahu and said the same words. Ish Elohim, man of God, Koamar HaMelech, so says the king, Meheira Reda, quickly come down. <coughs> so he didn't even say, <coughs> say it based on, uh, he didn't even, he, he went even beyond the, the arrogance that the first officer used. He said, get down fast, or right now. You better listen. Now, um, the 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 uh, commentaries have a difficult time understanding how this person could possibly have not learned his lesson. Uh, one, uh, you know, uh, you know how 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 could say, after what happened to his predecessor, you would imagine that he would have learned his lesson and known uh, to be a little bit more respectful when he speaks. The only maybe possible way of, I mean, not the only, there's various explanations, but I don't know if any of them really, really answer that, that question, other than when a person is really arrogant, they simply lose their common sense, which is probably the most logical understanding. But another way of maybe understanding it is that maybe now this um, Tsar understood that, that the king wanted to speak to Elio. I don't know, it, it's an, I really don't, no, a good answer for that. Uh, I'd be interested if any one of you have a suggestions. But anyway, so what Elio then hearing this demand again and seeing these people here and trying to force him to come down, Vayan Eliyahu. So Eliyahu answered and said, If I am such a great man of God like you <coughs> addressed me, then the same exact thing happened, right? May a, may a fire come down from heaven, <coughs> and the fire did, and destroyed them all. <coughs> so now, and now, 
he sent a third one, a third uh, officer over 50 and his troops. And the third one came, and this one had a completely different approach. And he bowed on his knees opposite Eliyahu. And he, he, he begged him. And he said, Please value my life and the lives of these servants of yours, my 50 men. These 50 men in your eyes. In other words, value our lives. Please don't destroy us. He kind of learned the lesson. He did not want to be killed like his predecessors. Hine, Yarda Behold, I know that fire came down from heaven, <coughs> that killed the two previous officers that preceded me, and their troops. Please make have. Please value the my life in your eyes. Look at me as as a life that's precious. Please don't take my life. So a messenger of God said to Eliyahu, Raid also, you, him you can go with. Do not be afraid of him. So now this right away gives us an understanding that Eliyahu was afraid that the king wanted him killed and was sending these men in order to force him to come and execute him, just like his mother had been trying to do and, and for years. <coughs> um and God now encourages Elio and says, don't be afraid. You know, even though that may not have been true, according to Abag, in other words, Elio was afraid, he was paranoid that this was going to happen, even though the real reason why he was being sent for was to bring, was Kachazia wanted to talk to him. But now we set up a situation, and if you follow the logic of the Rabag's commentary all the way through, at this point, after Elio just slaughtered at least 102, that's the two officers and two sets of 50 men, of his men, now it's a situation where Ahaziah really can't anymore bring Elio into his, into his um, palace and have him you know, minister to him, so to speak. We've set up a situation where Elio is now an enemy to the king, and that's how the king will, visual, will, 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 will approach it. But God reassures Elio that despite this enmity, despite this, this um, violence, you don't need to be afraid of him. You can go to the king and deliver my message. By the very love, and this is what you should tell him. Because you sent um, messengers to, to uh, seek advice from Baal Zavuv is there no God in Israel that you should look to him for help? Therefore, <coughs> the bed that you went up into uh, in your illness, you're not going to come down from because you will find death. Uh, we don't, interestingly, we don't have any uh, discussion of the actual encounter between Eliyahu and Ahaziah. The verses assume that you realize that Eliyahu went to Ahaziah and delivered that message. But there's no actual report of what happened when Eliyahu got there. It's just kind of assumed. It just says uh, that he ended up dying. Like the word of God that Eliyahu had spoken, and Yehoram, who was his brother, right, took over the kingdom afterwards. 
Because Achazia didn't have a son, Achazia had just taken the throne, not, not quite two years prior, and had not yet had a son, so his brother Yehoram then took over the kingdom afterwards. And, and all the other things that occurred in Achazio's reign, Asherasa, that he had done and accomplished. If you want to read about it, they're written in the Sefer Divra Yaman Machi Yisrael of the kings of Israel. You can go read it in the Chronicles of the Book of Kings. You're more than welcome to go read the history books, and they'll tell you everything you need to know about Achazio's career. But this, of course, is not a history book. This was written by the prophets only to teach us the lessons that are important for us to learn. One wonders, one really, really deeply wonders that from the way um, the Rabag understood this story, that Ahaziah was actually reaching out to Eliyahu <coughs> because he wanted to bring Eliyahu peacefully and honorably back to his palace to hear his message. What opportunity here was lost and what could have happened had had things transpired differently, had the messengers of the king treated Elio differently, had Eliyahu reacted differently. Um, I'm, I'm considering a, a specific podcast, uh, an in-depth sort of podcast, to analyze the career of Eliyahu in general. Um, after, but first, we're going to finish the annals of Eliyahu's life, and of course, we're going to continue uh, a reading of Eliyahu's career uh, in the next chapter, um, and it's been a, um, uh, th- uh, a, a privilege to study the first chapter of the second book of Kings with you today. Looking forward to studying the rest of this book together. Have a wonderful day.